from last night. And so thank you for bringing them. All right. Well, we are excited about the week, and I know you are, and that's why you're coming. And as your pastor has encouraged you to do, bring others with you. And let's see our crowds grow for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. We can do it. Just don't assume people will come. Invite them. Invite them again. Some of you have relatives that live within 30 minutes to an hour from here. Invite them to come tomorrow night and join us. Well, turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. In a moment, we'll start at verse 8. I want to speak to you on the subject, those who get special blessings. If I were to ask you what one word shows up more often in prayer than any other word, most of you would know what that word is. It, it, it is the word bless or blessing. We love to pray for God to bless, don't we? Well, the Bible says that God likes to do that. Don't turn, just listen to these verses. The Bible says in Psalms, salvation belongs in the, unto the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. By the way, since salvation belongs to the Lord, He is the only one who can give it away. <laughs> and He offers it to all of us. We cannot give it to ourselves. The Bible also says in the book of Proverbs, the blessing of the Lord, it makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. The Bible teaches that God even blesses those who are not Christians. We know the scriptures say the, the Lord makes the sun rise on the evil and on the just and sends rain on the, excuse me, he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends his rain on the just and the unjust. And then we read over in Romans where Paul says, it is the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Listen, if you've never turned from yourself and your sins to give your life to Christ, let the goodness of God motivate you to do that. And God has been good to all of us, hasn't He? Well, we've seen then that God blesses all people. But I submit to you, there are some people who get blessed more than others. And it is because they get themselves in a blessable position that releases God in heaven to pour out on them special additional blessings that others do not receive because they're not in that blessable position. Now let me hasten to say there is nothing we can ever do that will merit or deserve anything from God. The moment we begin to think we deserve God's blessings, we have missed it. Though we do not earn God's blessings, starting with the gifts of salvation, though we do not deserve them, as I said, we can get ourselves in that blessable position. Now, we have the story in here of 2 Kings chapter 4 of a woman who got herself in that blessable position. And as a result, she received a very special blessing, a son. And so this is so special because she had been unable to have children up to this point, and in that culture that was a curse. Well, what kind of woman was this that released God in heaven to pour out on her this very special blessing? In other words, what characterized her life? Well, four things. First of all, she got herself in that blessable position by being a godly woman. Look at verses 8 and 9 
in 2 Kings chapter 4. Have you found 2 Kings chapter 4? Well, if you haven't, you're not going to, so just listen, all right? <laughs> Verse 8, And it fell on a day that, he, that Elisha passed to Shunem, where there was a great woman, and she constrained her, asked him to stop and eat bread. And, as, and, it's, and so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat bread. Now, by godly, I mean one who is interested in the things of God, one who loves God, one who has a heart for God. Notice this woman was able to tell that Elisha, who passed by her home, she was able to recognize that he was a prophet, a man of God. And as a result, she and her husband wanted this man of God to come into their home to dine with him when he would pass by. You see, because she had a heart for God, she was able to tell he had a heart for God. And any time two people with a heart for God meet, they know they have something in common, don't they? Somebody has said a godly person is one who has four things, the knowledge of God in his mind, the grace of God in his soul, the love of God in his heart, the obedience to God in his life. You know, I, I run into lots of people that, that intend to live right, <laughs> but they never seem to get around to doing it. Well, godly people do live right. They don't just intend to, they do. They live like others intend to live. Now, this does not mean they're perfect, but it does mean they do seek to live their lives daily in a way that would please the Lord. Why? Because they love the Lord. It's not a ritualistic thing with them. It's not some kind of mechanical obedience. They just have a desire to honor God. I ask you, are you like this? Do you have a heart for God? Do you desire to please God? If so, you're getting yourself in that blessable position. Talking about godliness, there is a street that used to be in London. I doubt it's there anymore, the way that country has gone. But the street had the name Godly Man Street. Evidently, when the streets were being named, there was a godly man living on that street, and they just decided to name it Godly Man Street. Listen, if your street or road is anything like mine, it needs a godly man or woman on it. And we can be that person. You say, well, how do you become godly? You say no to self and no to Satan, and you say yes to God. Amen. You do that daily. Now, let me back up. Before you can say something like that, <laughs> no to self and no to Satan, and yes to God, you've got to have God in your heart giving you the strength to do that. So that's the first step, inviting God to come in. And he comes in by way of his Holy Spirit. Jesus left the earth, went to heaven, and sent the Holy Spirit back. And he said that was necessary for him to do that because, I mean, you can figure that one out. When he was on the earth as a human being, he could only be at one place at one time. But by leaving and going back to heaven and sending the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can be everywhere at the same time. I know some people say, well, how's that possible? Well, don't you think if mankind knows how to put a TV picture in everybody's house at the same time, that Almighty God knows how to put His Holy Spirit in everybody's heart at the same time? I don't think that's any problem for Him whatsoever. But you see, just like the person in the house has got to turn on the set, you've got to open your heart and let Christ through His Spirit come in. And that's the first step. And then it becomes a daily choice. Well, you know, some people have seemingly enough godliness to be a little better than their neighbors, but they don't have enough godliness to please the Lord. 
God blesses those who seek to live a godly life. There was a store run by a non-Christian man that, that sat on the boundary line between two counties. One county was wet, the other was dry. You folks know what that means, thanks to your, thanks to your pastor. I have, a, I have a heart for him because I fought alcohol in Memphis, like he's fought it here. And, and I led a campaign and we got the county commission and the city, commission, city council in that town to pass an ordinance that greatly restricted where places could be that sold that stuff by the drink. We, we changed the zoning laws. <laughs> and so if you can't keep it out, you can change zoning laws. Well, anyway, this guy had this store and he had a booze box in his store. But the story I was reading said anytime he rearranged the furnishings in his store, he had to make sure the booze box sat in the part of the store that was in the wet county because if he put it in the part of the store that sat in the dry county, he could lose his license because the dry county, of course, does not allow the sale. I read that story and I, that reminded me that's the way a lot of people live their lives. In one part of their lives, they, in, in one part of their life they live for themselves, in another part of their life they try to live for God. Listen, a godly person is one who wants all of his or her life live for God. That's right. They get off the fence and get entirely on God's side. Yeah. Well, let's move on. There's the second thing we're talking about getting ourselves in that blessable position so we can receive those special blessings from the Lord, like this woman did. Number two, not only was she godly, she was generous. Look at verses 10 and 11. And uh, did, I, did I not read verse 9? Did I stop? Well, my page turned. Maybe I didn't turn it. it, it she said, verse, let me back up and read verse 9. She said to her husband, Behold, now I perceive this is the holy man of God who passes by us continually. I did explain that, but that was the verse I forgot to read. Now, verse 10, she says, Let us make a little chamber, a room, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he comes to us that he shall turn in there. And it fell on a day that he came there and turned into the chamber and lay there. Now, got those two read. This Shunammite woman was generous. She had already been feeding Elisha as he would pass by. Now she suggests to her husband that they build onto their home a motel room up on the top on the roof reached by a staircase on the wall. And they furnish it so that Elisha would have a nice private place to stay when he would be passing by. She knew he would not enjoy privacy being in her home, but you know how that is. It's, you just can't really just relax and unwind. And so they go to this expense. I'm telling you, that was generosity. Amen. Are you a generous person? You know, so many people are not. When Pastor and I were talking before we came in here, we, got, we have a growing group in America that, that feel entitled. It's this entitlement mentality that's becoming more and more of a part of our culture. What can everybody do for me? The government, the church, the family. It's, just, it's unbelievable, isn't it? This spirit of giving and generosity is disappearing. I heard about a fellow who was being praised by a friend for his generosity to, to charity. He said, well, let me tell you my story. He said, there was a time in my life when I was very stingy. But he said, I, I did not want to be known as a miserly man. I knew that would not be good for, for me and for business. So he said, I began to force myself to donate money to charities until I developed a habit of doing it. I thought, boy, that sounds so confining and so restricting to have to make yourself donate and develop a habit 
Friend, that's not what we, what we have to do to become generous with God or anybody else for that matter. All we've got to do is realize how much God has given us. If it ever dawns on you how generous God has been toward you, you'll never be hesitant to be generous back toward Him, no matter what you give Him, whether it's resources, money, time, energy, whatever. And anything we ever give back to God, we already have received it with one hand before we give it with the other, right? And so we're just giving God back really what He gave us to start with. Now, by the way, the, the best thing you can give to God is yourself. <laughs> In fact, that's the most generous thing you can do is to give God your heart and your life. Have you ever done that? I'm convinced one reason why God does not have what we have, He doesn't have us. <laughs> Friend, if you ever give yourself to Him, you're not going to have any trouble giving Him anything else He might want. That's right. So being saved is an act of generosity. It's what Luther called the great exchange. You give God yourself and your sins, He'll give you Himself and His gift of salvation. Brother, that's a, that's a great exchange, isn't it? <laughs> and you know, joining the church is an act of generosity because when you do that, you're saying by coming forward to join the church, I want to be a team player with you. And I want to carry my part of the load. Amen. Again, so many don't want to do that anymore. They just want everybody to meet their needs and give to them. And that's not New Testament Christianity. Well, let's move on. There's a third thing. Number three, we're talking about getting ourselves in that blessable position so we can receive those additional special blessings from the Lord. Not only was this woman godly and generous, she was gratified. She was satisfied. She was content. Look at verses 12 and 13. And it fell on a, excuse me, at verse 12. And, it, and he said to Gehazi, a servant, call this Shunammite woman. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, say no unto her. Now here's what Elisha through his servant says to the woman. Behold, you have been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for you? Would you be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. Now because this woman had been good to Elisha, he wanted to do something for her. And so he called her in and through his servant he said, Ma'am, I appreciate all the care you've given to me. Is there some, something I can do for you? Perhaps carry a word for you to the king or put in a good word for your husband to the captain of the army. That's what the host is, the army. Did you notice her very unusual reply? <laughs> she says, Elisha, I dwell among my own people. You say, what in the world does that mean? In a Hebrew way, in the Hebrew culture, a way of responding, she was saying, Elisha, thank you but no thank you. I am gratified, I am satisfied, I am content to live with a family I have. I don't need anything else. I don't want anything else. Thank you, but no thank you. Now do you realize who is saying this to Elisha? This is a woman who had not been able to have children. What the Hebrews called a barren woman. In that, and in that culture, that was, that was almost like a curse. And yet she is satisfied with where she is in life. I mean, that's the ultimate in gratification, if you ask me. Are you gratified? Are you content? A man from Texas said he came from the greatest state in the Union, and it was not the state of Texas. He said it was the state of contentment. 
Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. He said in Philippians 4, 11, I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. Somebody said everybody lives in one of two tents, content or discontent. Which tent do you live in? You see, here's the problem. If we're not satisfied with what we have, we're not going to be satisfied with what we're going to get. So why should God give us additional special blessings on top of the blessings He's already given us when He sees we're not gratified with those? But don't you see how when God sees that we're satisfied with what we already have, that goes far in getting us in that position where He can then bless us with additional blessings. I have a friend who's dead now. He was a pastor. His son's still alive, but he's in his late 80s. This, this pastor that was the father of the son was a coon hunter. In fact, I preached a revival for him years ago, and, and I was wore out every night. I was a young man then, and, and he, he was ready to go coon hunting, so he'd leave and go cooning, that old preacher would. So any coon hunters in here? We need, we, hey, we need deer hunters. We need more deer hunters. <laughs> they, they're about to break all of our cars, aren't they, running out in front of them. But anyway... He had a coon dog he wanted to sell. This old preacher did. And so he called his son up. He, he, by the way, he had ran an ad in some magazine, Coon Hunters Read, and he had got a bite from somebody in Mississippi, down in central Mississippi, who was interested in buying that dog. And, and these, pe these two men, the preacher and his son, lived in West Tennessee, not far from here, just down on across the line. Well, anyway, he called his son up and said, Son, I've got a bite for my dog. I, I got somebody interested. I'm going to go down on Saturday morning. Would you go down there with me? The son said, Well, Dad, I'd sure be glad to go with you to give them some time for father and son fellowship and all that. So that Saturday morning, they took off early in the truck going down there to central Mississippi to show the dog. Well, on the way down, the son said to his dad, Dad, let me do the talking. I will sell your dog for you. You'd have to know both these men. They're pretty big talkers. Most preachers are. <laughs> so anyway, they get down there. They get the dog out of the truck, and the man's standing there looking at the dog, and the son starts his sales pitch. I mean, he's bragging on that dog up one side and down the other. About three-fourths of the way through the sales pitch, the father stopped his son and said, Son, this dog is not for sale anymore. I did not know he was that good. They loaded, that, they loaded that dog up in that truck and drove all the way back to West Tennessee. Wasted all that gasoline getting down there. Why? He didn't know what he had. You see, that's what's wrong with us. We don't know what we have. We don't realize how good we have it, do we? We have been so blessed, and yet we're still unsatisfied. We're still not grateful. Now, I know discontentment drives a lot of our economy. I realize that, and I don't want to be misunderstood. If we all just decided we're not going to buy anything else, we're just going to keep what we have until it wears out, and we all look like we, the dogs drug us in off the street, you know, when we go to work or go to church. I, you know, I, I realize that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, if, if, if there's not some buying and spending going on, people lose jobs and all of that. I understand that. But, but you understand what I'm saying, don't you? We need to realize we are blessed and we need to be grateful and gratified with what we have. Am I making sense? Take inventory of your life. You know, by the way, Pastor, I'm convinced that one reason why people don't get saved is they're not satisfied with Jesus. Yet there's an old song with that, satisfied with Jesus. 
If they were, they'd get saved. They're not satisfied with the plan of salvation. If they were, they would jump at it. Are you satisfied with Jesus? Then if you've never given him a life, do it tonight and prove to the rest of us you are satisfied with him. If you're a Christian and you've never been baptized or you've not joined this church, prove that you're grateful for the church God's led you to and come forward and say, Pastor, I need believer's baptism or I want to move my membership from another church. You show God you're grateful for the church he's given you and, and come forward and make that decision tonight. Amen. And then number four, we're talking about getting ourselves in that blessable position so God can pour out on us additional special blessings. Not only was this woman uh, godly, generous, and gratified, she was genuine. She was for real. She was sincere. She was honest. What you see is what you get. Verses 14 and following. And he said, this is Elisha said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, verily she has no child and her husband is old. That's a diplomatic way of putting it, isn't it? <laughs> Verse 15, and he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door and he said, about this season, according to the time of life, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, you're a man of God. Do not lie unto your handmaid. Now, though this woman did not want anything from the Lord through the prophet, he still wanted to do something for her. So after she had left that room, he said to his servant Gehazi, surely there's something we can do for that woman. Well, she's been so good to us, feeding us, providing for us this room. What can we do for her? Gehazi scratches his head and says, you know, Elisha, she does not have any children. Elisha said, that's a brilliant idea. Call her back in here. And they call her back in and he says, he looks at her, Elisha looks at her and says, ma'am, in nine months, you're going to have a squalling baby in your arm. Boy, her eyes get big as saucers and she looks at Elisha and she says, Elisha, you're a man of God. Don't lie to me. Don't kid around with me on a subject like this. Don't fool around. Hey, he's not lying. He's not fooling around. He's the prophet of God. He means what he just said. Not all prophets could work miracles in the Old Testament, but Elisha was one who could. You see, by her answer, though, she revealed she was just a genuine person, very honest, above board, sincere, transparent. Are you like that? I get so tired of hearing about people who act one way at church and another way at work. They act one way in the Sunday school class and another way in the school class. They act one way around Christian friends and another way around biological family members. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's just amazing. God wants us to be genuine, for real. The Bible says we're to fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. The Bible says that we're to be sincere in our faith. Are you like this? I tell you, my wife and I attempt to be real for God. We really do. We want what you see on the stage is what you'll see if you follow us around, if you hired a private eye to follow us around for a week. Amen. That's right. I, hey, I'm not going to stand up and preach before you and something I don't live myself. If I'm talking to you about giving, brother, you better believe I'm doing it and doing it in a greater percentage than probably 99% of you in this room because I can't tell you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. I can't tell you to support your church and I don't support mine in every way, not just giving to it, my home church. I'm not a pastor. I've never, I'm not on the staff. I've never pastored a church. Some of you say, well, thank God for that. But anyway, 
I'll just give an example. My wife would up, up at our home church between revivals, and we noticed a couple of restrooms were just filthy. I don't know what had happened. I don't know what had happened. We didn't call up the church office and fuss at them. Why don't you get the janitor over here and get these rooms cleaned up? We just went up there and cleaned them ourselves. Just did it. What's wrong with that? Hey, it's not beneath my dignity as a preacher to clean a restroom. Amen. Amen. So you see, well, I'm not preaching to you something I'm not trying to live. And my wife, she, you, you see that smile on her face? She's real. Man, I get convicted living with her. I mean, she's just, she just happy in the Lord all the time. <laughs> and so, anyway, talking about genuine, I heard about a lady who took her three s small kids to a diner. You know what that is, a little tiny restaurant with a counter and the seats at the counter. She took her three small children to a restaurant one morning before school. They had to take separate seats there because the place was sort of crowded and the food was served. And one of the children, her smallest child, was noticing that nobody else had said a blessing when their food was served. So when her food got there and her siblings and her mother's food got there, she hollered down to her mother several seats down. She said, Mama, do not, don't they ask the blessing in this place? Boy, everybody heard that little girl shout that out, and they all got quiet in that little, in that little diner. The man standing behind the counter sort of turned right in the face and said, yeah, yeah, honey, we say the blessing here. Why don't you ask it? And she just bowed her head and said the blessing. Now, that's a kid for you, isn't it? They're just going to be themselves no matter where they are. Listen, that's, the why, that's why the Bible says when we come to Christ, we must come as a child with that same kind of genuineness, that same kind of transparency, that same kind of humility. You don't strut up to God and act like you're doing Him a favor when you give your life to Him. You come to God humbly realizing He's doing you a favor. And by the way, only God can make us a genuine Christian. We cannot make ourselves a genuine Christian. It is impossible. And again, what I mean by genuine Christian is not a perfect Christian. I'm not perfect. My wife's not perfect. Billy Graham was not perfect. You're not perfect, but our God is perfect. And He works on us, doesn't He? <laughs> he works on us. And so, as He works on us and we cooperate with Him, we do become more genuine as we reflect Him to ourselves <laughs> and to others. Again, I ask you, are you a genuine Christian? By the way, one way God works on us is through His people, the local church. You see, we need each other. We sort of help each other, don't we? Become more genuine in our walk with the Lord. That's why we need to join the church after we're saved. Well, this is, this is a great story here about this Shunammite woman. She was godly, generous, gratified, and genuine. And she got that special blessing because look at the next verse, verse 17. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her according to the time of life. In other words, in nine months she had that baby. Why? Because she deserved it? No. Because she earned it? No. But because she was godly, generous, gratified, and genuine, she got herself in that blessable position that released God in heaven to pour it out on her. I know some of you are saying, well, Phil, if I get myself in that blessable position, what blessings will God give me in addition to the ones I already have? I don't know. I do know this. They'll be varied, different kinds, family, material, spiritual, emotional. I do know this. The Bible says if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does God in heaven know how to do the same for His? Hey, you just get yourself in that blessable position and see what God might do for you. And I think this is not only true for individuals because, this, this, excuse me, this is not only true for individuals, but this is true for churches because remember what churches are. They're just a collection of individuals. <laughs> Some churches are getting blessed more than others with these special blessings. 
because they've got individual members who are getting that, in that blessable position. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Again, the bottom line, the most important thing is knowing Christ, being saved. If you ever receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, if not, I'm going to ask you to come and say, Pastor, I need to do that. He will pray with you and lead you to Christ. Give us that privilege. Give us that privilege tonight to pray with you and to lead you to Christ. Take that one by the hand next to you and say, I need to go forward. They'll go with you. They'll go with you. If you need to offer to go with someone tonight or any night this week, offer. But that's all, just offer. We're not trying to make anybody do anything. Tonight, if you're a Christian, you perhaps could lead somebody to Christ by leading the way to come make your response to request an appointment for baptism or to join the church or renew your devotion to the Lord or, or to come pray as, as we're asking you to do this week, those of you who know the Lord and, and belong to this church, to come and just pray for the invitation while it is going on. To kneel or sit if you can't kneel. I, I, you're having prayer power in the altar. I believe in that. So whatever response the Lord would be pleased with that would bless Him and help you, would you come and make it tonight? Would you come? And as I said yesterday, if you're in the middle of a pew, the people on either side of you will be more than happy to let you slip past them so you can make your way to the front. The pastor is here waiting on you. The Lord is here waiting on you. Don't quench His Spirit. Don't say no to Him tonight. Get yourself in that blessable position as a Christian. Maybe you need to come and just say, Pastor, I want all four of these things to be more true in my life. What a great decision that would be to make tonight. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we know this invitation time is a time to receive a blessing from you. And so, Lord, help us to search our hearts and see what response we need to make. I pray for Christians. You would give us some to lead the way to come pray for others. You would speak to some to do that. Lord, if there are any here who need to join the church or receive an appointment for baptism, help them to come. Lord, for those who need to renew their devotion to you, help them to come. For those who just need to come and say, I want all four of these things to be more true and real in my life, help them to come. And then, Lord, for those here who need you as their Lord and Savior, help them to come. Lord, for those who are not sure where they stand with you, help them to come. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, the pastor's here, the Lord is here, the altar's here. As we sing, you step out. Don't quench the spirit. You come.